Recently, I was very, very blessed to have a chance to sit down with a very dear person that's in my life. I don't get to see them that often. They don't live in Alaska anymore, but we've known each other for years and years. It's probably 15 years we've known each other. Um, I haven't seen them physically for the last number of years, but they were visiting at Fairbanks recently, and so we made arrangements to go and have coffee. And so we were sitting in a coffee shop downtown, and I went in and bought lunch for us, and we were just sitting there talking. And normally when we get together, we, we do the catch-up thing. You know, ask how are things going in your life, or how have things been, and what are you, what are you guys been doing? And so we did that initially, you know, when we sat down, you know, and I said, well, you know, I got COVID back in November, then Christmas, blah, 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 blah. But then the person looked at me, and he said this to me, and it just kind of stopped me in my tracks. He said, how goes it with your soul? I didn't know how to answer it. Not because I don't know how my soul is, but nobody asks me those questions. Technically, I'm the pastor, I'm supposed to be asking you those questions. But the reality is, very seldom does anyone ever ask me how my soul is. They ask me, how's my health? How are things in the church? How are things with your family? Is there anything important going on in your life? But how is it with your soul? And that took me a while to even be able to think of anything to say. And then finally we did talk. We spent about an hour, hour and a half talking. But, but the reality was it was just a, it was like a ball for me. It was like a stumbling in the road. Trying to think about that. Well, I was praying and asking the Lord what he wanted me to preach about this morning. And literally... I kept getting bombarded with, how is it with your soul? How is it with your soul? And I'm like, you want me to tell my testimony? No, I don't want you to tell your testimony. I want you to ask them, how is it with your soul? Well, we can't have a group discussion about how is it with your soul, but I want you to talk to them about what it means to how is it with your soul. <laughs> okay? Well, guess what God did? I was thinking yesterday morning, as I'm trying to study... God gave me, let, me, let me open it up so I can show you. God gave me a book. Thankfully it was available on Kindle, because otherwise there's no way I could have done it. Look at the name of that book. <laughs> How's Your Soul? <laughs> By a guy named Judah Smith. He's a pastor and author and blah, 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 blah. And so I literally spent... Five or six hours yesterday scrambling to read through this entire book, thinking, Oh, yay! God's going to give me an outline right out of this guy's outline. I'll just preach his book. So I got to spend five or six hours reading through this 200 page novel, not novel, it was Christian nonfiction. Um, but God just downloaded into my brain, into my heart, the things that God wanted to say. And so, this is kind of a, a meandering of my thoughts, and I want to walk us through a few passages of Scripture. And the whole time we're doing this, I want you to be thinking about how goes it with your soul. First of all, and I, mean, I am going to take you through a number of passages of Scripture, I apologize. Um, towards the very back of the Bible, just before the book of Revelation, you're going to find 
three little books written by John. First John, second John, and third John. Each of these are letters that were written to various people back in the day. And I want you to turn to third John. And you're only going to read, we're only going to read one verse out of it, but let me pull it up real quick. If you read it in the New Revised Standard Version, this is what it says. I pray that all may go well with you. This is John talking to his friend Gaius. I pray that all may go well with you, and that you may be in good health, just as it is well with your soul. If you go to Eugene Peterson's uh, paraphrase of the Bible, it's called The Message. This isn't an actual word-for-word translation, but this is a a paraphrase. This is a pastor who knows Greek so well that he was able to put it in uh, a way for his his own congregation to be able to really understand what the meaning of the verses were, and it ended up getting out, besides their church, and now it's a worldwide thing, uh, called The Message. But he translated, or not translated, but he paraphrased John, 3 John chapter 1, verse 2, as this. We are the best of friends. And I pray for good fortune in everything you do, and for your good health, that your everyday affairs prosper as well as your soul. How can my soul prosper? Really, truly, is it well with my soul? How is my soul doing good? Is my soul prospering? Because I, I did a word search through the Bible for the word soul. And most of the time in the Old Testament it says, Love the Lord your God with your heart and your soul. Love the Lord your God with your heart and your soul. Love the Lord your God with your heart and your soul. Obey the Lord your God with your heart and your soul. That's what it says most of the place. Or if you go to Job, it says bitterness of soul, bitterness of soul, bitterness of soul, bitterness of soul. Over and over and over and over again. But if you go to Psalms, you see this incredible... Emotion-filled thing talking about the soul. So if you look, first of all, in Psalm 23, it's a very very familiar passage. It's the shepherd's psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. One of the things that 
I, I don't have the time this morning to go through every chapter. I think this book is great, and I think it would be a wonderful discussion book for a small group study sometime. We may do that. But one of the things that he wrote in one of the, in one of the chapters was he said, you know, the, the guy in Psalms, he, it's like, have you ever been a, a roller coaster in a music park? You know, you're on that roller coaster, and you're sitting there in the front seat of that roller coaster, and there is the track in front of you and a chain underneath or between the tracks, and you hear, and you're going up, and you're going up, and you're going up, and you're going up, and it's good, and it's good, and it clicks, and then as soon as that clicking stops, and then click, 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 it's getting good, it's getting good, and he said, that's what Psalms is talking about with salt, with souls.
some of the things from the first chapter or so in this book because he was spot on in some of the things he said. He said, I think the phrase, the inside you, does a good job of communicating the biblical meaning of the soul. King David wrote, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Note that little phrase. All that is within me. Again, Judah, Judah Smith, the guy that wrote this book, said, My soul is the center of who I am. It is this inner me, the real me, the invisible me, that transcends the physical me. The part of me that in some sense will live eternally in heaven. So he says, if our souls are the inside of us, what are we supposed to do about our souls? How do they work? What do they need? How do, they, how do we know if our soul is functioning properly? And if, if our soul isn't functioning properly, what can we do about it? If you look in Genesis chapter 2, we read the story of God creating. Very first book in the Bible, second chapter in the book. And it says that the heavens and the earth were finished, and the host of them, and on the seventh day God rested. Then it talks about verses 4, it talks about the creation of man and woman. Verse 7 of chapter 2, it says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Now, Judah said, think about this verse. Adam's body was created first. But it was, by definition, lifeless. It was a corpse. His system hadn't been booted up. The lights hadn't yet come on. He was merely a shell or a form. He was not alive. When did Adam become alive? When and only when God breathed into him. At that moment, Adam became a living creature, a living soul. He says that is incredibly significant. God's breath is the essential characteristic of the human soul. Anytime we speak of the human soul, we are literally speaking about God's breath. The two are inextricably connected. There was no human soul until God breathed, so God's breath defines the human soul. If God's breath created our souls, then we are literally living on borrowed breath. Whenever we breathe, speak, or sing, we do so because God's life has given life to our souls. Now, 
Mr. Smith, Judah Smith, is a, a funny guy. I enjoyed reading his book. He told a lot of anecdotes, a lot of stories about his kids. He told a lot about himself and his relationship with his wife. He was a little bit too much information for me at times, although I was reading in privacy of my office, so it just laughed and moved on. I won't say some of the things he said here, because I don't want to go on to the internet. But the reality is, some of the things he said were hilarious. And one of the things he said to me, and, and as I was reading it, he said, your home, the place that you actually reside, where your physical body is, is your sanity and your sanctuary. It is where you are fully yourself. Your home is therapeutic. He said, I travel a lot. And I'm, I'm now paraphrasing. He said, I travel a lot. And I hate using public restrooms. And unfortunately, I'm one of those guys, again, I'm paraphrasing. I'm one of those guys that has to use that paper ba barrier on the seat because it's just ugh to me. To even think about it. Ugh. So when I get home, my toilet <laughs> is my toilet. It's my bed. It's my living room. It's my table. I don't have to be afraid. I can be myself. I can just let everything hang out. This is my place. Some of you obviously can relate. You're smiling and laughing. And what he said was, a while back I was thinking about this concept of home. And I started wondering, if my physical body needs to regularly go home in order to be healthy, in order to be whole and safe and reoriented, what about my soul? Does my soul have a home? I mean, if this tangible, three-dimensional, external body needs a space to simply let down and be itself, what about the inside me? Then I ask you one last question. When was the last time my soul was at home? Think about this. If your soul was formed by the very breath of God, and if your soul needs a place to anchor, because if you go to Hebrews, you'll see where it says, Jesus is the anchor for our soul, keeps us from breaking, keeps us stabilized. Then if you need to be restored, or the thirst quenched, or prosper in your soul, where would be the most likely place to find that? Take the time this morning to read those passages because 
You can read them for yourself, and you'll, they're very familiar passages. But let me, let me tell you where to find them so that you can look them up later. First of all, you're going to look in Matthew chapter 26, Matthew chapter 27, and John chapter 20. Let me say that again. Matthew 26, Matthew 27, and John chapter 20. The two characters I'm going to talk to you about are a man named Peter, also known as Simon, and a man named Judas. There's a story in Matthew chapter 26 where this woman comes into a home that there's a party being given for Jesus. It's near the end of Jesus' time on the earth. And this woman comes and she breaks open this bottle and she anoints Jesus with this ointment. It says in Matthew that it's on his head. And it says that the disciples are offended by this woman. Because that that she wasted could have been sold and the money given to the poor. And Jesus, knowing the hearts of his disciples, turned and said, Ladies and gentlemen, you need to understand something. This woman has done something beautiful. And what she has done will be immortalized because I, by my Holy Spirit, come to require you to print this every time you write a gospel. And you can see, it's in the Gospels. And the very next verse after that story ends, it says, Judas went to the leaders of the Sanhedrin and said, what will you give me if I betray him to you? And they turned around and handed him 30 pieces of silver. And it says, from that point on, Jesus Judas watched for a time when he could deliver Christ over to the leaders of the Jewish The same. Something happened. Something got twisted, broken, deformed, distressed. Was Judas in the click, 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 click up with Jesus? Click. I'm with the Messiah. Click, click. He's going to bring about it. Click, click, click. What? And everything goes crazy for him. And he loses all of his faith. And he loses all of his, I can't believe what I thought I was really trusting in. What? What? And he turns. He literally turns his now, what's so discouraging and so disgusting about this is if you read further into this, chapter 26 and 27, you're going to see that Jesus brings all of his 12 disciples into an upper room. And the night before he gets betrayed, he literally washes their feet. And he shares food with these people. If you look in the book of Psalms, You'll read a section, I don't have it written in my notes, otherwise I quote it to you, but it says, the one who has shared my food has raised his heel up against me. In that culture, showing the bottom of your foot is an incredible offense. It's calling them disgusting. and You're showing them that they're just like the crap that's on the bottom of my feet. That's what it means when you read that in the Psalms. And that's what Judas did to Jesus that night. 
Because Jesus, in the middle of his, his dinner with his friends, says, One of you is a devil. One of you is going to betray me. And it says they're all going, What? What? No, no. Is it me? Is it me? Is it me? And it says in Matthew, it very specifically says, Judas looked at Jesus and said, Is it me? Now, Jesus doesn't point him out. But if you read all of the gospel messages, you do see a point comes in that evening where Jesus turns to Judas and says, That which you must do, do quickly. And Judas left. And the other guy had no clue what was going on. They just thought maybe Judas would be given instructions by Jesus to go buy something or because he kept the purse. So they thought, you know, I don't know, I don't know what's going on. Why did anybody leave? And Judas then went. He had found his opportunity. He had the 30 pieces of silver in his hand. And he walked into that sand and he said, I've got the moment for you guys. He's got all of his followers up in a room and they're going to be leaving there and I know where they'll be after that. Follow me. Now after Judas has left, Jesus is now talking to his followers that are still up in the upper room and he says to them, guys, I'm about to be killed. No, no, no. Yeah, calm down. This is the way it is. This is God's plan, and I'm willing and ready to do it. And I, I've already told you, one of you will betray me. And Jesus, I mean, then he says, and he said, and when all of this comes down in just a few hours, all of you are going to leave. You're all going to run away. And Peter's like, uh-uh, there's no, I don't care what the rest of these people do, but I will never leave you. Yes, you will. No, I will not. Peter, you need to understand. In less than six hours, maybe eight hours, you're going to deny me three times. You'll deny me three times before the rooster crows tomorrow morning. I will not. I will not. I'll go to the death for you, Jesus. And you know that. Judas leads them into the room. Judas kisses Jesus on the cheek. Do you betray him with a kiss? Jesus is taken away. Simon grabs a knife and cuts off the, the ear of the high priest's servant, Malchus. And Jesus says, no, this is not the way it's going to be. Jesus heals Malchus's ear. And Peter and John follow Jesus as he's being carried away. And they sneak into the courtyard of the high priest or wherever it is that this trial is going on. And at some point, this little servant girl comes up to Peter and says, Aren't you one of Jesus' followers? I don't know what you're talking about. Leave me alone. I don't know that. And a little bit later, one of the other servant girls, or somebody says, Well, yeah. Yeah, I saw you with them. I do not know what you're talking about. Leave me alone. And another person comes up to Peter and says, Wait a minute. You're... Accent. That's Galilean. Of course you were with him. He's from Galilee. I don't. And he literally says in Matthew, he started calling down curses on himself and swearing. He said, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know the man. And it says that Peter instantly recognized what he had done. And he went out and it says he wept bitterly. Now, we have Judas, 
whose soul is in distress. Everything he believed was gone. Everything he hoped is gone. And he's in that roller coaster moment of total disequilibrium. But so is Peter. Because I failed him. Everything I wanted, everything I believed in, how could how I can't. But what were the two outcomes? What were the two outcomes? Judas goes back to the folks in the Sanhedrin with the, the pouch filled with the thirty coins of silver, and he says. I have betrayed innocent blood. I have betrayed innocent blood. And they're like, what is that to us? That's on you. And he just, in his frustration and angst, throws the coins at them and leaves. And very succinctly it says, and he went out and hanged himself. Now Peter didn't kill himself. Peter just hung out with the guys. In that upper room, most likely, with the doors locked for fear of what the Jews would be doing to them next because they've already killed Jesus. And the weekend's going, and it's been a couple of days, and Jesus is dead, and they don't know what they're going to do. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is alive on Sunday morning. Woohoo! Yay! Peter runs with John down to the tomb. And they see that it's there, and then they come back, and it's oh, it's amazing, the Lord. And that night, Jesus peers to them while they're sitting in that same locked room and he welcomes his peace be with you and God's done this great thing and it's so wonderful. Where was Peter in this? How was it with Peter's soul? I cannot imagine Peter was jumping up and down with joy because Jesus was back in the room. I imagine like a puppy dog who knew that it just crept on the floor. <laughs> it was sitting with its tail between his legs, cowering in the corner, afraid of what the master was going to say and do. And then Jesus, it says in the Gospels, he appeared over the course of a number of days. And then we get to John chapter 20. And if you read John chapter 20, you see that Peter has reached the point where he's no longer even following the calling anymore. Jesus, if you go back all the way to the beginning of Peter's story, you see where Peter was called out from his fishing boat. And I will know you will no longer be a fisherman, you will now be a fisher of men. Follow me. But now in chapter 20 of John, Peter has gone back to being a fisherman. There's nothing else for me. I totally blew it. I had everything. He told me he was going to build his church on the rock, which was me. And I totally blew it. And then, again going back to bookending the Gospels, Jesus is on the shore and he says to guys, hey, you guys get any fish? No, we fished all night, we didn't find anything. Cast your net on the other side. And they do. 
and the catch is so incredibly hard, huge, it starts sinking the boat. And somebody, John, I think it is, says, hey, that's the Lord on the, on the, on the, uh, the shore. And it says, Peter literally jumps in the water and swims to shore. But then he gets up onto the beach. And he can't, he can't, he wants to, but he can't. And they eat food, and they're all together, and Jesus is there. Peter's off in the corner still, and then finally Jesus calls Peter aside and says, come here, let's go for a walk. Peter, do you love me? They were both with God. They had intimate fellowship with God for three solid years. But something happened in Judas' life that caused him to pull back from the source that took care of his soul, the place that was his safety, the place where he could just be himself without fear. He could just let loose because he was with God, the very source of his life. But something happened and he pulled away. And instead of coming back to be restored, to be made right, to have the thirst quenched, he couldn't get past whatever it was that had caused him to pull away in the first place. And you know what Jesus said about Judas? It was after Judas left, I believe, if I got the chronology right, he said... It would be better for that man if he had never been born. It breaks my heart to think about Judas. I love thinking about Peter because Jesus reached out to this broken person who felt just as disconnected, just as much a failure. I mean, exactly the same. I have betrayed innocent blood. I have failed him. I promise that I failed him. But two separate paths. And the difference was 
Peter, as much as he felt broken, as much as he felt disconnected, as much as he didn't feel worthy, still stayed connected, still brought his soul home for restoration and writing and getting the click, 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 click back. And so that's what I was told to tell you this morning. How does your soul? Father, I love you with all of my heart. I give you praise, I give you honor, I give you glory. And I ask, Lord, that your word would not return void. In Jesus' name, amen.